Okay, well, if we haven't met, my name is Parker. I'm a pastor here at the church, and I am so excited to get to share with you this morning. Listen, I want to start out by sharing with you an overall life update. Some of you may have heard this by now, but I know there's many of you that probably haven't. As you may know, I have a five-year-old. His name is Owen. I have a one-year-old, and his name is Oliver, and coming this August, I'm expecting not just one, but two baby girls coming. Yes, thank you. Listen, I'm glad you're excited. We are too, I promise. We didn't know if we were going to have uh, any more kids after Oliver, but now we're having two. So if you see, uh, if you see me on the front row in the ne- over the next few months just crying out to God and worship, know it's because I need him more than I've ever needed him before. Uh, we are very excited, but it's going to be uh, it's something that we weren't expecting, that's for sure. And uh, I got, uh, we, we celebrated 10 years of marriage in March as well, which is, now listen, I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of looks, so. Uh, I want to do a little exercise here together. I want everyone in here to raise your hands at Sanford Oviedo. Let's raise, everyone raise your hand. Everyone raise your hand. And I'm 31 years old, okay? But many of you in here probably don't think so. Uh, or at least have just now learned that for the first time. I promise you I am 31. Four kids, you know, just uh, 10 years of marriage. So I want you to put your hand down when I get to the age that you thought I was, okay? <laughs> this is serious. I want to know. I want your feedback. So uh, third, I'm going to count down from 31. You ra- put your hand down when I get to the age that you thought I was. All right. 31. Wow. Okay. Got a couple over here. Uh, 30. <laughs> Not me is what I just heard. Thank you for that. Uh, 29. 28. 27. 26. 25. Okay, a lot of 25, 24, 23, 22, still seeing hands, okay, (laughs) 21, wow, that's 10 years, okay, 20, all right, I don't think I see any more hands, hopefully, oh, oh, there's one more, okay, Uh, 19, 18, 17, oh my goodness, I've been told all my life to see that as a compliment, and the older I get, the more I see it that way, uh, but man, that's all, that's all, what is that, 14 years, okay, well, thank you for that, hopefully everyone else's hands at locations went down. Listen, in the last 10 years of marriage, we've seen a lot of things that, in our life, that we weren't expecting, uh, and that's not unique to me or, or my family, I know that kind of coming of age and growing older, you kind of learn how to uh, to learn how to adjust your expectations uh, to, to things. And uh, I think that happens in so many of our relationships, We're working through, you know, expectations in general. We've been through a lot, and there's a lot of really serious, heavy things that we weren't expecting. There's a lot of uh, even just kind of funny stories along the way. I can remember, uh, for, for some reason, growing up as a kid, thinking about a moment specifically that I would have as an adult where I would be realize that, you know, I would fully realize that I am a married man. And this moment wasn't, wasn't going to be my wedding day. It wasn't going to be my wedding night. It wasn't going to be on my honeymoon. For some reason, I just, in my mind, was, had a lot of expectations on the day that we would wake up together in, uh, in our own home, in bed, and it would be just kind of this moment where, like, okay, now, 
Like, I am a, I'm a married man. And I didn't really think about this consciously. Don't make it too weird. Like, I'm just, subconsciously, I was just thinking, like, that's the moment where it's gonna, I'm going to wake up and realize, hey, I'm, I'm married. And so because of that, how much time went by, you know, kind of sitting on this idea, uh, I, I didn't realize how much expectation I had. And so we get to this moment, and I finally, I, I wake up that morning and realize, okay, this is the day that I'm fully realizing that I'm a married man. And the expectations were just kind of worked up at that point. You know, I, I, I always thought I would wake up, see the sun coming through the window, and I'd be the first one to wake up, you know. And then I would uh, I'd turn over and see my wife, who is just beautifully sleeping on her hands, just kind of eyes shut, but looking at me, and almost like a half smile, you know, just like a, not like a creepy smile, but not like she's like, frowning like you know just a slight smile and there would be this moment where I kind of put my arms around her and she wouldn't wake up all the way but she'd wake up just a little bit open her eyes see me there as her husband and we would just kind of embrace each other and that was the moment that it would be like okay I'm a married man and it's just happiness from here moving forward like I finally have arrived right many of you know that's not exactly what happens (laughs) so that morning happens and we wake up and I look over, and my wife, well, the sun was coming through the window. Check one, right? I look over my wife. She's turned the opposite direction. It's okay, right? We're going to make it. We're going to make it through this. She's facing the wrong way, but I'll forgive. And keep in mind, I have never voiced these expectations. They're just there. They're just growing, right? So, so then I kind of wrap my arms around her. And to say that she popped the bubble of my expectations would be an understatement. My wife freaks out, total freak out, yelling and screaming. And it took, it wasn't like she just kind of flipped out and then saw me and it was like, oh, it's my husband. And we're like, that would be forgivable, right? We still kind of hold each other and then we have that moment. It took 10, 15, 20 seconds of convincing her that I indeed was her husband, (laughs) that I belong in her bed and that we're gonna be okay. And it just was very discouraging. I'm just going to be honest with you. And it just kind of set up marriage, maybe in a good way of realizing like that, you know, managing yourself in a relationship. If you want to have a healthy, you know, lifelong relationship that makes you better, brings value to your life and is personal and intimate, no matter if it's a marriage or even it's friends or coworkers or or even bosses at work, you have expectations. And I promise you, if you do life long enough for people, there will be a point where your expectations either are not met or, or, or your expectations shift. There will be moments where you have to face, you know, what, what do you do when, when it brings you feelings of like, I'm disappointed here, I'm frustrated, I can't believe you would do that. I always pictured that a wife or, or, or a husband, their, their role would look like this. And you spend a year, two, three, maybe more, f- just figuring out how to do life and, and, and managing that. Has anyone else been there? Is that by myself here? Please. Yes. I, I think that relationships can take a lot of work. And here's what I want to bring to your attention today is that we do believe that this isn't just some sort of religious experience that we have as Christians, that we actually do have a relationship with the living God. And we believe that this is not just some sort of religious thing that we do, that we actually have a relationship. And so the question I want to ask, if relationships involve expectations not being met naturally, even the best of ones, disappointment, frustration, what do you do when you're actually disappointed and frustrated with God himself? 
what happens when God doesn't meet your expectations. Because if we're willing to see that relationships just take a lot of work and that healthy relationships require working through when do I voice and how do I voice what I'm going through and, and working through just expectations with a partner. If we know that that's true for good and valuable relationships, why would that be any different with God? Unmet expectations, maybe we don't talk about it enough, but I think they're normal and to be expected in a relationship with God. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in that place? I think it can happen very early on in a relationship with God, right? Many of us made a decision to follow Jesus. And a lot of us maybe was in an environment like we have today where you just the worship is in the right place. Everyone's playing your favorite songs. You feel like there's this, this sense of like happiness and, and maybe the preacher is preaching and it just feels like he has a word that's been like uniquely tailored for you. And he's speaking just the things that you didn't even know that, he, that you needed to hear. And there's this moment where he says, do you wanna start a relationship with, with God? And you're like, man, if this is what a relationship with God looks like, of course I do. Like I, I feel heard and seen and peace in ways I haven't in so long. So you make a decision, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And then it, it, it maybe even 20 minutes go by and some of those feelings can go away. And it sounds simple, but those can be unmet expectations, right? Like I thought a relationship with God would always look like it's bringing me value and peace. And all of a sudden, I'm, I just don't know if I feel that anymore. Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe it's been years of being in a relationship with, with God and you know him to be powerful. You know him to be able. You hear stories of him working in so many people's lives and it increases your faith. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a life circumstance where you desperately need the power of God and he seems to be distant. He doesn't seem to really be there for you in the way maybe you've heard him to be for others. You have expectations of what it looks like for God to be sovereign and powerful and yet where is he in your situation? I gotta tell you, it's tough being a, a worship pastor in general. It's, it's very easy here, of course, but you know, this is, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna, not gonna lie to you, this is a hard group of people to please when it comes to worship songs. Everyone's got an opinion, and listen, your opinion is valuable, it's important to me, and anytime you suggest a song, I wanna hear it. You think I'm being sarcastic, I do. I really do wanna, I really do wanna hear it, but it can be tough because it's also tough to know that there are situations throughout our whole church where people are walking through stuff. And sometimes when you're picking a song and trying to you know, talk about how God is faithful and powerful, you know certain situations where God has yet shown what he's gonna do in it. And you know you're putting words in people's mouths to sing something that maybe their own circumstances, they don't know yet how to agree. Maybe it's they're singing about how God loves me and he's always there for me and always present. And you're saying, I don't know if I've seen God present in a long time, if not ever. Everyone else around me seems to be experiencing the presence of God, but I, either I'm missing it and I'm, I'm feeling it and that's all there is, or, or, or this isn't true. Has anyone else been there where you're, you're, you're even singing a song, you're like, yes, I know this is what I believe, but I haven't seen God move and, and, and work in the ways I've expected. And so if, if relationships become more intimate and valuable and personal, when we have to talk through and work through our expectations. Today, I wanna to talk about the process in the Bible that we see um, so many people walk through, and it's a process called lament. 
And this is what I want to talk about today. This is a, probably a word that many of us in here have heard before. The dictionary definition, a dictionary definition of lament would be a prayer expressing sorrow, pain, or confusion. But lament is not just a prayer style. Lament is the practice of inviting God into our pain. It's the practice of inviting God into our sorrow. It is sharing, it is us sharing with God the hardships that we face. Lament is about getting real with God, not tying our problems into a nice, neat bow, but rather telling God, I am angry, I'm alone, and I don't feel like you care. And I think there's examples all over scripture where people are really honest with God. I and mean, honestly, these are not scriptures that you're gonna see you know, tattooed on people's arms, on bumper stickers. Listen to some of these verses that David says in, in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 42 says, why my soul are you downcast? Why is so disturbed within me? That would be a strange bumper sticker. Psalm chapter 77, verse nine. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Psalm chapter 22, one and two says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. These are such unresolved places of sitting in God with pain and struggle, asking God, where are you? Why aren't you here with me? I don't want you to misunderstand though, lamenting is not just an emotional response to the hardships of life. It's not just being angry. Lament is a spiritual discipline that for much of the Western church history has been abandoned. And I think there's Western cultural expectations on us today that make us think that in the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of trying to always be building something that brings us joy, that rejecting negative emotions is part of that. And this is, this is an Eastern biblical concept of learning how to actually take a breath in, in the middle of the pain and learning how to work through it. And so today, I wanna to unpack the process of lamenting. This is the process of actually working through your emotions with God himself, even if they're negative emotions about being disappointed because he hasn't shown up, being frustrated because you know that he's doing it for other people, and where is he for you? And maybe this is only for a few people in here today, but I think that growing in maturity in a relationship with God, if you say, I just want, I, I, I want to understand this, this God more and feel like I'm closer to him than ever before, lamenting is the perfect thing for you because it helps you sort through when life comes and things that you weren't expecting happen or even when you're angry with God, how to sit in the middle of that and process it. And so we're gonna do this together by looking at Psalm 13. This is one, one chapter, it's six verses, and this is um, a Psalm of, of David, and we're gonna look at it together and unpack four different steps in order of what it looks like to lament. So I'm gonna read this to us to give us full context. Here we go. Psalm chapter 13, it says, "'O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever?' 
How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Now, if you just read the first verse and the last verse, clearly there's a process he goes through, right? There are a lot of different emotions and things going on here. So I wanna help categorize those in four different steps of how we lament. And the first step is turning to God. We've gotta turn to God. And now this might sound very basic and very easy, but I actually think out of the four steps, sometimes it can be the hardest of them all. If we think that, uh, if we have lies that we believe that I wanna unpack here together, I think we can think certain things that make us believe that turning to God is the last thing that we should do. I think we can believe things like maybe that God doesn't really hear us. Or maybe we believe that your relationship with God won't be close if you share with him negative thoughts and feelings, especially negative thoughts and feelings about him. Maybe we would believe that uh, having negative thoughts and feelings about God, it must mean that maybe we're not a very good Christian. Or maybe, maybe we believe that it's because we don't have enough faith. And I think in the church today, with good intentions, we try to look at people with situations where they're walking through pain. We try to look at them and say, you know, you just gotta have more faith because God can and he's able. And listen, that is true. And sometimes people need to hear that. But I want you to notice that if someone's telling you that you should just have more faith, you are unintentionally communicating to them that there must not be enough. And we can believe the lie that, that it just takes more faith to, to not to work through the pain, but to get rid of it to change your circumstances. And I gotta tell you, I've seen enough difficult situations in my own life and in people around me to know that there, there needs to be more than just a process of getting more faith to make God do things. I think, I think times we, we can think that, and it's with good intentions, but sometimes there's unexplainable circumstances. Listen, we're not God. And the people around you with good intentions, they're not God either. And so sometimes God's gonna do things differently in different timings. So what do we do? We first have to turn to him even when it's frustrating and painful and be willing to say, God, I'm confused. Get rid of the lies and, and step away from those, that way of thinking that maybe God can't handle it and then believe in the truth, which is this, that God not only tolerates our emotions and our pain, he welcomes them. He even asks for them. First so, uh, Peter chapter five, verse seven tells us, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Psalms chapter 55 verse 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. I know it might seem counterintuitive to bring God frustrations about him to him and expect this, but in fact, lamenting will actually draw you closer to God. Think of it like this. If somebody gave you 
relationship advice like this, you would probably stay away from them. If they said, listen, don't talk about your feelings with those you want to be close with. I think that we all would know that that's a little ridiculous, right? That relationships take honesty. It takes openness. So why would that be any different with God? The first step in lamenting is having to resist these lies that tell us that that's, that's going to cause harm in a relationship and believe the truth that that actually is an opportunity to bring you closer to God. These first two verses in, in, in chapter 13, I want to read them again. They say, oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart? Every day, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? So the first thing we have to do is we have to turn to God. The second thing is that we have to bring our complaints. Bring your complaints. And listen, I'm I'm wording this a specific way because there's a big difference between bringing your complaints and complaining, right? I have, like I've said, a a one-year-old and a five-year-old. So you get to see kind of the difference in how they're, growing up and you know my one-year-old is at the point now where he doesn't really know how to ask for specific things but he knows what he wants right and so he'll he'll make it clear that hey he wants you know a specific kind of food he'll be pointing to things doing things like that and sometimes you know we can't give it to him because we haven't had dinner yet or something like that and as a one-year-old he will just now at this point just have a complete tantrum about it and you would think that I told him that there will never be food for you ever again and, you know, he, he's just, just wrecked. And my five-year-old, who's not much better, you know, will come to me with a bag of Oreos. And I say, but we haven't had dinner yet. For some reason, my kids are always just mad at me for food reasons. I promise we feed our kids. But he'll come to me with a bag of Oreos and say, bud, like, we're, I'm in the middle of making dinner. And you're asking me to open this. To open this. You're going to have to wait. You know, and he'll be much more clear and vocal with how upset he is with me because of his vocabulary. But what I want to point out is that as we're getting older, I think that if we want mature and good relationships, we have to use uh, our ability to process and learn how to vocalize our complaints, not just unfiltered, let them loose, right? There's something about a relationship that you really respect and trust and honor that shows a desire to not just assume the worst about a person and complain about them, but rather assume the best about them and show you conflict that you're having internally with why what you believe is their best doesn't match with what you're currently seeing. And the same is, the same is true with God. We can't just expect that. And, and I want to be clear here. Listen, I'm not saying God is sensitive and that if you bring your complaints to him the wrong way, like he just kind of loses it, right? That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I think it's important to realize that this is for you. We're walking through a process here of learning what God can do within, learning what a process you can go through to help yourself deal with disappointment of God. So this is, this is a principle for us, and there's nothing like just unfiltered complaining that causes you to lose perspective, causes you to lose gratefulness, causes you to forget even what you like about the relationship because you're only focused on what your emotions tell you, which is not exactly always a good guide for building a lifelong close relationship. A great biblical example of a comparison of the difference between complaining and bringing your complaints would be the Israelites in the wilderness versus David in the Psalms. The Israelites in the wilderness 
just saw so many miraculous, amazing miracles watching God provide a way out of slavery for them on their way to the promised land. And as soon as they get hungry and thirsty through the wilderness, they find themselves complaining. Not bringing complaints, but complaining to God. They say things like, he wants to kill us, assuming the worst, assuming the worst of God and painting him almost as a villain. Their complaints were actually a way of putting God on trial and testing him. Assuming that God just doesn't know what he's doing and complaining to him about it. While David in the Psalms asked God to answer according to his unfailing love. Because he is a God of justice and righteousness and because he's been faithful in the past. David will say things like, God, I know you to be this, so how is that not you now? Which there is a huge difference between complaining to God about what he isn't and what you think he is different about and complaining and bringing your complaints to God because of who you know he is and where he seems to be missing it here. Do you hear what I'm saying? This isn't about candy coating things or not being real. In fact, I would say it's more real with God to actually have to be vocal about what you believe about him versus what you're what you are seeing. And by comparing Israel in the wilderness with David in worship, we can say that a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character. But a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence of his character. So walking through these steps together, our first step is to turn to God. Our, first, our second step is to bring our complaints. And then we see in verses three and four, it says, turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Step three would be to ask boldly for help. Ask boldly for help. Has anyone been in the place before where you can think that if God knows my needs and he knows what it is that I'm walking through, then what, what is the purpose of me asking for help and asking him to be there for me? I mean, if he knows what's best for me and he knows exactly what I need, then what, what's the purpose of me having to say it? And I wanna remind you again, this is a process for you. This is not us trying to get God to do things for us and getting God to move in a certain way. This is about how do we process our disappointment and frustration with God. And there is an important piece to learning how to ask God for things, even though you know that he already is aware of them. It does something within you. So what would those reasons be? I believe one is that praying to God, asking for help actually activates something within you that reminds your soul that you are truly in need of God. It's a humbling experience to have to ask God for help. It sets your heart back in the right place of recognizing your need for him and not his need for you. Asking God for help reminds you that God is actually able, even though you haven't seen him do it yet. The very fact of having to ask him for help kind of sets your mind back in the right place of recognizing if I don't have the ability to do this on my own, and I have to ask God for help, it reminds you that no, he actually can do it, which in itself can increase your faith inside of you to believe, no, I actually believe he can. God, I, where are you? I need your help here. Expressing need for God actually softens our heart and draws us closer to God. N.T. Wright says it this way. I love this. It says, when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 
then somehow God is praying within us for the pain around us. I think that what I want you to see today is that walking through these steps, it's about what does it do inside of you? Turning to God, bringing your complaints, asking boldly for help. And then in verses five and six, we see David say, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Step number four is to choose to trust. Choose to trust. It sounds like this would be the hardest step. But let me tell you, if you, if you walk through this process, you will recognize when you get to step four that your heart is just in so much of a different place. You see how much David shifts throughout this psalm. And I'm convinced that he started those first two verses without knowing how he was gonna finish. He just approached the paper and was willing to get a little more real. And the very fact that you can see through this scripture about how David's heart is changing helps you understand that once you get to step four, choosing to trust, you've already reminded yourself that God is able to do it. You've already told him how you feel about it. And you've reminded yourself that I know who he is. So God, I actually, I really do trust you. Have you ever been in a situation where you just have this like conversation worked up in your mind that you're worried about with a relationship of yours and you just know you gotta have it and it kind of gets bigger and bigger over time and then you, you finally go talk to the person and even if that person hasn't even responded yet, as you're talking, you're kind of realizing, I don't know if this is as big of a deal to me as, I, as it was worked up to be. And listen, I'm not trying to minimize real pain in here and say that this process will make things less painful. But what I am saying is that allowing yourself to open up your heart, turn to God, allowing yourself to just ask him and express to him, God, I, I'm, I'm confused on where you are and I know that I need you. And it makes it so much easier for you than you to turn your attention to him and say, but actually I think I do trust you. And I know you haven't responded yet. I know you haven't changed your mind yet. I, but, I, but I actually, this process has helped me recognize that you are able. It actually, if you're willing to, will allow you to shift your perspective a little bit where now you can see that when God is doing something differently than what you expected, you can really lean into that and recognize this is an opportunity for me to grow closer to him. If you still can believe that he's for you and that he's able and he's not doing something. I think it opens our eyes a little bit more to this Romans chapter eight, verse 28 scripture that tells us that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him according to his purpose for them. I think that scripture comes alive a little bit more through the lamenting process. But listen, it's human nature, learned or not, I think it's human nature to pull away from people when we feel our emotions and our pain. Yeah, I, I recently watched a Pixar movie with my five-year-old and uh, you know, uh, I, I think every Pixar movie is the same, so it doesn't really matter which one. I mean, they're, they're all so similar and there was this moment, it's always like three quarters of the way through the movie, maybe a little, little further. And there's like this friendship or something that never should have worked, but because of like the 
stuff they're going through together, like they're growing really close in some sort of way. And then, you know, there's an inevitable like growing of age moment, like a separation that has to happen for whatever reason. Every move, every, they're a little different, but they all have the same moment. And, you know, I, I, as, as the man of the house, I'm just kind of pushing it down. Like, I don't feel anything here, like whatever. And, you know, it's just an animated movie is stupid anyways. And, and I look over at Owen and he's got tears running down his face. And I've seen Owen cry before. You know, he was crying the first time I ever met him, right? So he, he cries all the time. But there was something different about this cry. This was him for the first time watching somebody else go through pain and him feeling that himself. And can I tell you everything in me in that moment I was proud of him. I was, I, it made me feel more emotional and made me recognize like, why am I pushing all this down? Like, and I wanted to go like hold him and have a moment with him where we could grow closer together. And as soon as he saw me looking at him, uh, he got up and walked to the other side of the couch and sat down. And I was pretty hurt. I mean, I was like, what, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And I think it's, it shows human nature, right? When you're walking through pain and somebody else can see your pain, I think there's maybe an opportunity for them to reject you and you kind of make the decision for them that you're not, you're not gonna let that happen. You'll just make the decision to get up and distance yourself. And so I turned off the, or paused the, the movie and I walked over to him and said, bud, this is sad and dad is sad too and he kind of looked up at me and was and I would love to say that he hugged me but it was a moment for sure and we were able to kind of watch the rest of the movie and be close let it bring us closer together but the very fact that I was willing to tell him I'm sad too I think made him feel comfortable to be real with me and I think there's some people in here and at other locations today that need to hear this, that God wants to tell you he is sad too. That in the middle of your pain, where you feel alone, you feel like God is distant, and you, maybe you're even a little angry with him, disappointed because he haven't, hasn't met your expectations. I want you to hear today that God loves you. He knows what you're walking through because he's been there and he's sitting right next to you. And I wanna ask you to resist the temptation to believe these lies that you being vulnerable with him about what you're feeling, that that would somehow cause distance. The truth is, it is an incredible opportunity for you to take a step deeper in a relationship with the one who made you and the one who loves you. And the enemy wants nothing more than for you to get up and move to the other side of the couch, to keep distance there and to isolate you. But I want you to hear today that if you'll let God do it, if you turn to him, if you bring him your real and honest feelings, you bring your complaints and then you make requests of him for what you feel like he needs to be doing that maybe you don't see. And then if you're willing from that place to make a choice that I choose to trust you 
it is an incredible opportunity to watch God just hold you in a way that you never realized that you needed. So I want to practice this together this morning. Let's pray together. God, we turn to you right now in this moment. And God, we got to say that we're sometimes pretty confused. God, we're confused by the times that we've seen you work and move in so many other people's lives and so many other situations. And God, we find ourselves in a place where you just don't seem consistent. And what's most frustrating of all is that we know who you are. So we ask, where are you? Why do, why, what, how long will we go without seeing you move in this situation with through families in our church that are in need, that are in need to see your power? And God, we just want to ask right now, not for ourselves and for our own comfort, but for a story to be told so that others could be encouraged. God, we ask you to move. God, move in power in the situations in our families of pain and brokenness. Move in power so that you could be glorified, God. Would you move in ways that we don't even expect? God, and it's from that place that we choose to remember who you are and to trust you for what you can and will do. God, we trust you because you are the King of kings and Lord and lords, able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. This is the God that we pray to you today. And with your heads bowed and eyes still closed, I just want to take a moment. Maybe you've ironically been hearing about this tough relationship with God that has an opportunity to be more real. And you say, I don't know if I've ever started that. And you want to make a decision today to begin a relationship that not only, not always will be easy or perfect, won't always be something you expect, but as an opportunity to be close to the one who created you. Or maybe you've made that decision a long time ago and you recognize maybe you got up off the couch and left a long time ago and you're saying today, I want to come back into a relationship with him. I want to pray with you today. If you don't mind lifting your hand so I can see you, we can pray with you this morning at every location. Would you just lift your hand if that's you today saying, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Thank you. Several hands throughout the room. Sanford and Oviedo as well. You can put your hands down. The Bible does say that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, that we will be saved. So I'm gonna pray this out loud as you prayed in your heart today. God, I love you and I thank you for saving me. Today I acknowledge I am a sinner and I am saved only by your grace. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are Lord and I'm giving you that place today, complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate all those that made a decision this morning? Come on, really celebrate them today.